Hello, my love, and welcome to this messy, beautiful life, the podcast. My name is Erin, and I am so, so happy to have you here. I'm a coach and mindset mentor, a recovering overthinker, an imperfect human on a journey of growth, joy, and healing, and I'm inviting you along for the ride. This podcast will explore concepts of self-development, spirituality, and harnessing our brain, body, soul connection for powerful growth and healing. It's my intention to use this space to change the narrative that says, if you are healing, you are broken, because it's just simply not true. The way I see it is that growth and healing is at the heart of us continuing to rise and evolve as humans. So if you are someone on a journey of personal growth and healing, whether it be right at the beginning or currently leveling up and really living the fact that the inner work is never truly done, then you're in the right place. And so my love, let's learn, grow, share and raise our consciousness together through the power of vulnerability and storytelling. I'm so ready for this and I hope you are too. So let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this next installment of This Messy, Beautiful Life, the podcast. I'm here today with another wonderful guest here to talk about some really juicy topics, and I'm so excited to share it with you. So I will introduce you to Lavinia Plonka. Hello, Lavinia. Hi. It's really nice to see you. It's so great to have you here. So you believe that each moment of our life is a creative act which I just love and that offers immense possibility as well as huge responsibility so tell us a little bit more about you and about that well you know it's easy to say that kind of thing (laughs) it's it's another thing to live as if that was really true Mm. because it seems as if um it, it seems as if nature itself is constantly trying to tell us that uh, it's the outer world that's making my situation that I have no control or, or then I spend my whole life trying to control the outcome instead of letting things unfold. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's this saying people often say, you know, well, you create your own reality. And what does that really mean that you create your own reality? I mean, here I am, I, you know, I, uh, no matter what I do, I will always be five foot two, you know, (laughs) I can't change that that reality at all. (laughs) Um, You know, but there, but there, there are, there are things that are happening at every moment. To me, every moment can be a choice point. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to walk around like that every moment going, should I start the car? Should I not start the car? Should I yes. go to work? Should I not go to work? There are moments in life where I, I've started something and it's, it's flowing and I go with it. But I do feel that everything that I'm doing in one way or another is leading to something else yes. that allows me to make creative choices. Mm. You know, uh, the reason, however, the reason that I was attracted to your podcast was your title, <laughs> My Messy Beautiful Life, which to me is, is about the creative process, right? I mean, you can't, you can't make great art if you don't make a mess first, yeah. right? And then, the, and then the result turns out to be something beautiful, uh, you know, hopefully. Anyway, <laughs> beautiful <laughs> perception you, anyway. of it, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so, you know, it's really interesting to be on the cusp of being 70 years old and looking back at all of the different 
you know, wrong turns, apparently wrong turns I made mm -hmm. or changes in direction that were unexpected that all came together as if there was some kind of plan. And that, that is so amazing, right? When you're 20, 30 years old, you know, it, it just all seems like it's all random. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to try to move through and I yeah. don't know what choices I'm making. And then you get to a certain point in your life when you go, oh, that's why I decided to study <laughs> basket making or whatever, yes. you know, and, and that's, that's how it has felt in my life that there, there were moments where no matter what was being offered, I felt like this direction. I had, I had to make that leap. I had to take that chance. I had to make that mistake. And believe mm. me, I made many mistakes <laughs> that looked like mistakes. But then I look back on it now and go, well, if I hadn't made that mistake, then I wouldn't have met that person. And I wouldn't have ended up in this situation. And so it starts to become beautiful. It, yeah. you know, it, it, it began messy. You know, we were talking about, um, where I came from. And I very rarely actually get a chance to talk about that. But both of my parents uh, were, you know, they were survivors of the Holocaust, non-Jewish survivors. So they were the people that most people don't ever talk about. Mm. These, you know, millions of Poles and Hungarians, and Romanians who were just swept up and Russians, I should say that because my mother was one of the Russians, <laughs> just swept up in the war and ended up in prison camps and ended up in concentration camps by accident and ended up as mm. slaves. So, so my family was part of that. And when I was growing up, there was no, there was no talking about what happened. Yeah. But there was all this weird drama that was going on. When I became an adult, I realized that, oh, my parents had PTSD. Yeah. But people didn't even know what PTSD was in the 1960s. I just had some very strange parents with yeah. very strange ideas about safety, about what you're allowed to do, what you should try. And, you know, those difficult times were what kind of allowed me to be a little bit freaky as I went into my life. You know, if, if they knew what it was like to really be an American and live in American society, they probably would never have, uh, you know, let me do the things that I did when I was in high school, starting, you know, starting theater groups and, um, you know, going off on adventures by myself to Mexico at the age of 16. They were like, oh, that's a very good idea. Yes, you go, you go. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, they would, they would let me get on a bus and go to New York City when I was 15, all by myself. It oh never my even occurred to them that that was dangerous because, of course, they had gone through so much yes. worse. Yeah. So, so that, that formed my, my kind of uh, willingness to try new things, to mm. explore, to do different things, you know? And at the same time, they had this vision that I was going to marry some guy, like a doctor, of course, <laughs> and be a regular housewife in spite of this crazy upbringing that I'd had. So when I actually did go into the theater and became a mime, they were horrified. They were absolutely ashamed that oh. their daughter was a clown. <laughs> they couldn't believe it, you know, but working against that, um, uh, that 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 disapproval allowed me to 
to do different things. It was like, well, your parents are never going to approve of you. Might as well just go do what you want because it's never going to work out. And that, that really helped me as I evolved Mm. in my process. So Mm. it was messy, but you know, it resulted in my following my passions through most of my life. And, you know, I had this interesting mime career coming back to the body, right? A mime, a lot of people think of mimes these days as just these kind of statues that are painted gold. And that's really not the art of mime. A a mime artist is somebody who speaks with the body, Mm. who tells stories with the body, who communicates where uh, one of my teachers once said that mime is where words fail you, where, where words are not enough, where, you know, where the work goes beyond words. And so that involved expressing emotions, mm. trying to understand, you know, how to, how to express, you know, joy, sorrow, pathos, you know, anger, all in the body. And that was kind of what took me along the path that I was going on. I would have never, uh, you know, found all of these movement things that I'm so passionate about now, if I didn't have this initial curiosity as to why is it that we express ourselves in that way? What is it about the human um, being that chooses, you know, universally to express their emotions in certain ways? I mean, different cultures have, you know, nuances and everything, Mm -hmm. but you can recognize a sad person or a happy person in just about any culture. And where does that come from? So that's, you know, my messy, beautiful life took me from show business to movement studies to where I am today. So what a story. I love that. As it just as you were speaking, I know I observing myself on camera. It just I just had this big smile on my face. I just it's like and I'm sure it hasn't all been golden, but it, it just what comes across to me is just it feels like you've lived a life of joy. Like you just described there, you know, there, there was angst. Of course, of course. <laughs> it wouldn't be a life without that. But I just get this sense of you've followed your joy, even, and it seems like even from a very early age, even, you know, potentially up against the wishes of your parents, you know, you, you it feels like it's been just such an obvious thing for you to follow your joy. I don't know, perhaps it hasn't felt like that to you, but that was what came across to me in your story. No, I think, uh, you know, you nailed it um, in, in an interesting way because I, I don't know whether it's because, you know, we were very poor when I was growing up mm. and I was the oldest in my family. And there was this feeling of like, you'll, you'll never make money. Mm. You'll never make enough money. Yeah. And so I decided, well, if I'm never going to be rich, I might as well just do what gives me joy. Mm. So, you know, now, of course, I've managed to change that mantra a little bit yes, yes, <laughs> as, I've, <laughs> as I've matured and started to realize that that, that was my parents' story. That was not my story. Mm. But I, I think that there was a quality, there was a quality of freedom there that I had that I, I didn't feel like... Um, making money was the most important thing in my life. I felt like uh, finding that creative spark and expressing myself was more important for me always. I always felt that way. And a lot of times I had opportunities 
to make money and I wasn't happy. Mm. And I had to reconcile that. Yet that took a while, but you know, I, I eventually realized that, oh, you can be happy and make money at the same time. Yes, yes. Oh my God. That almost could be like a whole other episode on its own, couldn't it? Those rewriting those stories that are yeah. handed down to us from our parents that are then absorbed by us through the way that we live our life. There's just so much there and so much that you know, is unconscious until we become aware of it. But I love that you so, I don't know, just again, it seems like just so naturally evolved. And obviously, you know, everything's clear in hindsight, right? But I, I love the way you kind of describe that it genuinely feels like you have been, you have allowed this creative flow to unravel and it has unraveled in a beautiful way into your life. And I also love, you know, back a little way you said you compared messy, beautiful life to art and, you know, the art of our life, which I love, but also that art is in the, and beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And what really resonated with me on that is that how important it is that we create our own life that is beautiful to us and doesn't matter what it means to other people. So whether it makes sense to other people or not, the most important thing is that it makes sense to us. And that, and that, and that we're pursuing our, we're, that we're listening to something that's coming from within mm. and acknowledging that something, because, you know, I mean, each one of us has our happy place, right? That, that thing that feels so satisfying and joyous. And, you know, it might be engaging in an act of creativity, mm -hmm. such as art or music, but it could be, you know, it, it creating a beautiful relationship. Mm -hmm. It could be creating, you know, your, your office space. Yeah. It could be creating your, your own being in, in the sense of, feeling like I want to be completely present in this world and I'm going to give myself the time and the space to do that. Um, even that to me has risk to it. You know, when, when a person makes a choice, for example, to start a meditation practice, mm. um, and I don't know if you've ever tried it, but let's talk about messy. Yeah. Right. Because when you when you begin that practice of coming in contact with what's mm. going on inside of yourself, uh, one of the big things that comes up and, and people don't even acknowledge it very often are the fears, yeah. the, the, the voices in my head that come up that tell me I'm not good enough or that um, I should have said this or I should have done that. And that takes me away from this potential place of quiet and clarity. Mm. And in that moment, I've spoken to lots of people, when you come to that place of potential quiet, it's, it's almost unbearable to stay there. Mm. It's like, I, I want to back off. I want, I want to start thinking about dinner. You know, I, I want, I want, I want to get away from that. So to me, even that process of, you know, being with myself mm. is a creative act because I'm creating my own inner space as well. Mm. And, and so, and, and I think of course that that 
can help people who do have fear about the outer world to come into themselves through that process as well. Yes, but it's so not, I mean, yes, creating a meditation practice is can feel daunting, overwhelming. Once upon a time, I was like, I'm just one of those people that can't meditate. I don't meditate. It's not me. So, you know, I just encourage anyone who feels like that to experiment with different types of meditation. You know, you don't start with just sitting in silence with yourself, but you know, that's a little bit of a tangent there. But I think part of the reason why meditation and connecting to our body is so scary is that there's so much conditioning that's happened in our modern world that tells us that being still, being quiet, letting things be, surrender and waiting is just not the way to do to do it. You know, so we're undoing all of these things when we embark on these practices. So one of the things that I love about using movement mm. to bring myself in contact with myself to be more embodied so that, you know, maybe it could be a step towards a practice or maybe it could be a practice in itself. But, you know, I teach the Feldenkrais method, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, he actually, Feldenkrais actually calls his movement classes awareness through movement, which um, is a, something that I love. You know, he didn't call it awareness of movement. Mm. He didn't call it movement awareness. He called it awareness through movement, that the act of movement brings me in touch with myself. Yes. And what I like about it, because I was a terrible meditator when mm. I first started my Feldenkrais training and my Feldenkrais trainer was actually a, a Zen teacher. And so he was always talking about sitting on the cushion, sitting on the, and I would be like, oh my God, not done. I can't sit on the cushion. Right. And so I talked to him about it and he said, so, so don't start on the cushion or, or sit on the cushion. And then when you start to feel like you need to do something else, you know, start to do little movements, little mm. movements with yourself, maybe moving your shoulders or reaching downward or exploring and then coming back to a place of stillness and then moving again. So that was very useful. But the awareness through movement lessons and then what I what I've continued on, I did Feldenkrais. I've been doing Feldenkrais for 30 years, but I, I've also developed a process called Kinesa which uses, is inspired by that and uses these movement processes to bring me in touch with my thoughts, Mm -hmm. my emotions, my sensations through movement. So you have an anchor. You're not just sitting there in space, but you're thinking about what is my hand doing as it comes to my face? Is my hand touching my face or is my face touching my hand? You know, Mm. I mean, you begin to really go deeply into sensing how you're moving and what you're feeling and you're still including and improving your ability to be aware so that that place of kind of open stillness appears for you and i find that so incredibly valuable it's like it's like i have something to think about yes besides the fact that i'm not supposed to be thinking about anything yes. and that really really has helped me a lot to calm my nervous system to come in touch, you know, when I, when I discovered the Feldenkrais method, I, I had a lot of chronic pain mm. um, and it was, you know, tough because I was a professional performer. Yeah. So I would go out on stage and do all this amazing stuff and then crawl home. 
because there was so much pain. And what I learned in these Feldenkrais lessons was that I was carrying my past. Mm. I was carrying the way my parents would punish me. I was carrying my own sense of inadequacy. I was carrying a lack of control and trying to control myself by contracting. I was carrying fear from being mocked. I was carrying so many stories in my posture that it was no wonder that my entire back was seizing up. And through that process of becoming aware of my habitual postures, my habitual way of walking, the ways I was holding myself was what unlocked my blockages and going back to the money thing Mm. made me freer to be able to allow success to come into my life. So, you know, it's like really by getting rid of your back pain, you can also become successful. (laughs) I mean, you know, and, and, and when you think about, okay, how many niche careers can a person have in their lifetime? First, I was a mime, right? <laughs> but, and by the way, it started out, my parents wanted me to be an accordion player. So you know, <laughs> they made me, they made me practice the accordion, accordion. daily oh my I was goodness. 17. And uh, that didn't work out for them. But you, know, <laughs> but, but, you know, so accordion player, then a mime, and then a Feldenkrais teacher when nobody had ever heard of Feldenkrais. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just been an interesting life of kind of going, okay, how many other weird things can you try? (laughs) I love it. I just absolutely love it. And I still just, you know, just really come back to that sense that you have absolutely followed your joy, regardless of whether it made sense to anybody else. But, and I also love that you've just spoken then about, you know, despite following your joy doesn't mean you didn't have baggage to unpack along the way. Um, And what you were talking there about essentially how we store emotions in our body, uh, Mm -hmm. which is also another thing that I think we're starting to talk about more now, but certainly hasn't been a part of traditional medicine or the, you know, the common discussions that we're having. Yeah. I mean, every you, you know there's there's this book the body keeps the score uh, you may have heard of it i've heard of it but i haven't read it yet but it's on my list <laughs> yeah and and in some ways really the title is all you need <laughs> because because it's so true every single thing that happens to you is stored somewhere in your cells in your dna So even if your mind has forgotten it or blocked it, it's there somewhere. And it's like Mm. how you use it, how you process it, how you um, work with it is how your life will then unfold. So, I mean, I've met other uh, children of Holocaust survivors, adult children of Holocaust survivors. And so many of us have very, very similar experiences in our growing up and some very similar neuroses as a result of that. And it's, it's interesting to meet people who are still in the bitterness phase um, or in the angry phase. And, you know, to, to be grateful that I discovered a way to move that out of myself to, to be able to um, do it and forgive and, and appreciate what my parents gave me and how much they sacrificed just in order to live. 
so that I could have siblings, so that I could live in the United States of America, Mm -hmm. you know, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting um, balance to, to accept that, yes, there was trauma. Mm. And yes, it's, I'm here now. I'm here now. And another thing we're discovering about trauma is that there's very few people that have escaped some sort of trauma early in life, you know, throughout life that really does shape us. Like even like you said very early on, you know, PTSD was not even known as a thing in the 60s. You know, it wasn't what your parents were going through was not even recognised um just uh you know we 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 sweep it under the carpet and we keep on going because we're resilient and we're tough and we just won't fall apart um through to then you know understanding ptsd through to now having this understanding of this you know big t trauma like those sorts of events versus the little t trauma that gets handed down or comes from parents who are well-meaning but you know, dealing with their own things as well. And I just love that at this point in time, we're having more of these conversations. We're recognising that it doesn't have to have been something huge that can have shaped our life so dramatically. Absolutely. Especially because, and and you bring up something really important because our child mind, Mm. when you're a child, things that don't seem like any big deal to your parents can be exceedingly traumatic to the child. And then the, then the memory of it becomes so much bigger. I mean, I I remember working with a woman once who, who told me about being abandoned by her parents for several weeks. And I was like, how could that be possible? She's like, no, they left me. They left me with a relative. They never, they never, even told me they were coming back and and she and she was like reliving this mm, whole mm. thing and and so in our process i said well you know maybe you should talk to your parents about that because it really seems to be something that's in your way yeah anyway it turned out that her parents went away for the weekend wow and they had they had brought her she was all she was already three years old but she had mm. never been away from her parents mm. and so they took her to her grandmother's and they figured she'd like her grandmother but yeah. she turned that into this epic horror story in her mind and when she found out that oh they were only gone for the weekend it was like she had to recreate her whole yes. history yes. so you know it's it's interesting how the child mind gets you know um, you know, fear of abandonment, just mm. because your parents said something like, well, if you don't have your shoes on in five minutes, we're leaving without you. Yeah. You know, and then the child goes, they left me. There. They forgot yes. me. Yeah. So, so all those little things get caught in our bodies and, and then we're stuck with them unless we learn how to let go of whatever gripping had taken place during that time. Mm. And that's, and that to me, is where working with the body can be liberating more than talking. It's not that I have anything against talk therapy. I think it can be very, very useful. Mm. But when you just get inside and you feel, you recognize that gremlin that's been living on your shoulder for the last 40 years and it goes away and you realize, oh, I can turn my head now. Mm. I wasn't able to turn my head before. I never realized that I was, you know, still upset about what happened in fifth grade or, you know, whatever that is. 
Yes. Um, the stories are always there. They're always coming out. Yes. I, and I get, uh, completely agree with you. I think, you know, I've had my own experience with talk therapy and I know and I speak about this often on the podcast. It became a point where, you know, it's like, there's got to be more, like I wasn't, it had its limitations for me. And it's like, there's, you know, and it's still an ongoing journey, right? Like we're constantly learning and evolving and healing. Uh, but I completely agree that particularly again, you know, in a more traditional kind of therapy environment, we, we relive, we relive these traumatic events. We, we talk mm. it through and that has its, has its power and its place, but it doesn't actually necessarily do anything to shift it as well mm -hmm. as also then not necessarily what happens beyond the, the ability to shift things consciously to how we then get into either our unconscious mind and or our body to then move through particular trauma. So does your, is that the work that you do in this method that you have developed yourself? Do you, what, where, how does it work? What, what do you focus on? What sort of clients do you work with? So, so I, I, I named it Kinesa because for me, Kinesa brings in the kinesthetic aspect mm. or emotions, which is the E, sensations, which is the S and attention which is mm. how I bring it all together into myself. And, uh, you know, what, what I do in this work is bring, I like to say that we have seven bodies, not, mm. just, not just this physical, yeah. but, but that there's a physicalness, there's a mental body, an emotional body, a creative body, which we've been talking about, the creative body, um, an archetypal body we carry different archetypes and, and mythological stories within mm -hmm. our DNA as well, an energetic body. And of course, all ancient traditions have talked about that and an alchemical body. And to me, the alchemical body is this um, ability of myself to self-transform mm -hmm. that within myself, I can, you know, I like to say that the work turns your personal lead into gold. So this ability to be able to transform yourself so within, with each of these bodies, I have like movement processes mm. as well as other processes, meditations, inquiry to help people go deeply into these bodies and then integrate them so that I can access the wisdom of all of these different elements of myself together. So that process, <laughs> I love the word process. I call it the Kinesa <laughs> process. Yeah. Because it's, it's ever unfolding. Yeah. It's constantly changing. And, and even though I break it up when I'm teaching the courses into these different bodies, they're all interweaving with each other all the time. I mean, mm. everything is related just as, you know, Moshe Feldenkrais said that all the parts of your body are interrelating. I mean, we know that the nervous system is sending instant messages all the time yeah. through all the parts of yourself. So you stub your big toe man, every part of you knows what to do right away. Yes. There's no delay. There's no delay. So, so when you add awareness of the other elements, your thoughts, your emotions, your, your reactions, it makes for the potential to be a fully realized human being. And, and of course, I'm not saying I'm a fully realized human being. I teach what I need to learn. I just want to, <laughs> but, but I'm working on it. And that, and, and I'm sharing that process and my own learning 
with others. That's basically what the Kinesa process is. Yeah, so, sounds um, fascinating. I love it. So um, how do you teach? Do you work one-on-one with people or are you teaching the methodology? How does it work? So currently I'm just teaching it uh, with groups. I yeah. use Kinesa. I do work with people one-on-one, yeah. but I'm not teaching people how to do it one-on-one. Yeah. Um, because, you know, one of the things about um, teaching <laughs> is that so much of it has come online. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I'm not going to teach people how to touch or how to handle or how to interact in a physical way with others online. Yeah. But there's enough material through just doing movement with yourself and self-inquiry to allow people to be able to help others through that process. So that's where I'm working right now. I do work one-on-one with people and employ all of the things that I spoke about. Yeah. But when what I'm working on right now is helping others get certified to be able to do this so that they can learn, you know, how to recognize emotional patterns in themselves Mm. and others learn when, um, you know, when they can sense what's happening energetically, what part of the body so that they can see when someone is manifesting in a particular archetype and then, and, and also how they can then embody an appropriate archetype to relate to other people. So, you know, um, my aim is working with like coaches and psychotherapists Mm. and people who want to do more body work, but don't necessarily want to be body workers. They want to understand how to use the intelligence of the body in their interactions with people. So right now I'm I'm actually about to launch a course that Mm -hmm. starts in a couple of weeks. I don't know if this is a time sensitive podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Um, sure by the time it comes out, it will already be out, but yes. Right. And so, you know, but there will be others. So people can always learn about Kinesa for sure. Yes. And we'll obviously put all of your information and, um, in the show notes that everybody can link to that if they are interested. Um, but it's certainly, it sounds so fascinating. And I love what you said um, back a little bit in our conversation as well about uh, the connection, the imp- no, the power of something like using a physical movement, particularly for someone who might find something like meditation, you know, the thought of sitting still difficult. I love that. And that really resonates with me as well, is that it's not just about sitting on a mat, starting, you know, and going completely quiet, that for some of us, that takes a journey. For some of us, we may never even get there. And that is absolutely okay. But something like the methodology that you're using, the one that you've created, that brings the movement together with the whole connection piece, I think is is beautiful and it's so great that we have so many options, more options available to us now. Um, And I hope that by sharing this, that this maybe resonates with someone who thinks, yeah, that could be something that I could really give a good go at and that's something that might work for me, particularly if they're feeling like they've tried all of the other things. And right. Maybe and and the thing that what I was going to say is that the thing about the movement is that anyone can do these movements. Mm. They're not, they're not postures. There's nothing to master. There's no, um, there's no imitating the teacher. It all, it's all your, you know, personal abilities, your personal Mm. experience, your own self-care 
which, you know, so many people in our culture always feel like they're not doing it well enough. Yeah. They, they need to work harder, try harder. And <laughs> this movement process just allows people to experience themselves as they are in the moment, in a gentle movement that is not stressful. And to me, that is golden. Yes, because I think then we, we transfer across, we try to take these more um, spiritual or feminine or, or whatever approaches, you know, when we say we want to connect more deeply with ourselves, but we bring all of the conditioning that we have, that we have to do it well, we have to do it perfectly, we have to nail it in a certain amount of time. So, right. um, yeah, anything that, that caters to the individual and allows them to connect in a way that works for them is wonderful in my books so I would love to know just before we finish up our chat is what is it and you know <laughs> as as we've spoken about joy a lot already through this podcast but I would love to know Lavinia what it is that truly brings you joy and when was the last time you did it well there's so many things <laughs> that bring me joy um, so maybe I'll just speak about the most recent joy, Sounds which good. is going to sound so silly. Not at all. But, you know, it's, um, it's summer here. Mm -hmm. And this year, there are so many wild blackberries mm -hmm. growing all along the sides of the road. And one of my greatest joys is to be out there and not worry about what time I have to be somewhere, whether I've gotten my proposals done, do I have to prepare for some kind of a talk? Yeah. But I have no agenda except to pick these blackberries. And there's something so joyful. It's like, it's like tapping into another side of your brain, right? Because there's mm. a side of my brain that's always planning things and yes. organizing and, and writing and thinking. And, and I love all of that too. That gives me joy too. Yeah. But yeah. I just happened to have a couple hours off yesterday and I stumbled upon a blackberry patch and it was just, I don't know, it, it, it maybe it took me back to my childhood <laughs> as well, but it was just so satisfying, you know, pick one for the bag and one for me, one for the bag. <laughs> and, and that gave me great joy because there was no thinking involved. It was a simple movement. Yeah. But to me, yeah, to me, joy, you know, I mean, I, I get really excited. I know this sounds even sillier, but I get really excited sometimes when I take a shower because it's like, wow, you turn the knob. <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't have a shower when I was yeah. growing up. You know, we, we, that, that was not part of the, the, the life there. Life, and yeah. so I remember my, I remember my first shower, but you know, water comes out and, it, and it's the temperature that I want. And, yep. you know, to me, that's a miracle that, mm. that I'm grateful for. So, you know, yeah, I guess taking a shower this morning was pretty joyful too. <laughs> and like those things are not silly, but because I mean, you know, connecting to Mother Nature is just, I think that is core basic need and something that we've potentially lost a bit of touch with. But the shower thing is like just acknowledging the magic that exists every day, you know, like, and I love it. I think it's, and maybe that is why you're just, your energy just radiates joy because 
maybe you've nailed what it actually is, which is to celebrate the small things in life, to see joy and wonder in the small moments. And it's as simple and as challenging as that. That's true. <laughs> so you, you, I, I know, I know you want to be done, but you just reminded me of no. something I'd completely forgotten from my childhood. So Please. we'll wrap it that way. You know, my mother, you know, being who she was, plus on top of it being Russian. So she always, her glass was always half empty. It yeah. was always, uh, you know, the, the, something was about to go wrong all the time. And I was always trying to lighten things up, which mm. is probably why I became a clown and trying to cheer things up. And she would get so angry. And her, one of her ways of trying to make me feel bad was she would say, oh, would you stop being such a Pollyanna? <laughs> I don't I don't even know if you know who Pollyanna was. Yeah, I know was, Pollyanna. She, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, and, and, and she would be so angry and she would like say it as if being a Pollyanna was such an insult. And, and like Pollyanna was like one of my folk heroes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And so I guess I've always been that way. I just didn't really kind of connect it until just now. <laughs> oh, I love it. And I think, yeah, uh, I love that. I love that. And I think, again, it's, it's just that how messages are received is so individual to each of us and whether we see something as a negative or a positive then you know we, we don't have a lot of control going back to how we started this conversation we don't have control in how things how things turn out but we do have a choice every day as to how we respond how we react how we choose to see the world and how we choose to change the things that are happening unconsciously within us mm -hmm. so I think that that is beautiful. I've so, so enjoyed this conversation, Lavinia. It has been an absolute joy to use a word that I've used a lot. Um, <laughs> we will pop all of your information in the show notes, including the updated info on whatever program you have available when this goes to air. But is there anywhere in particular you would like to direct people where they can find you online? Well, I'm super easy to find. Because I think I might be the only Lavinia Plonka in the world. <laughs> so you just put in my name and I come up first. Amazing. Search engines. <laughs> but, but I do have a website and it is yeah. LaviniaPlonka.com. So um, it, you, you can find everything you want to know about me right there. I'm also on Facebook if you want to check me out there. Beautiful. Um, Instagram, all, all of that stuff that we do in the 21st century yeah. i'm there yes yes despite the fact that maybe we question sometimes how how much time we spend online but you know it is what it is and of course as i always love to say the magic of the internet and podcasting and zoom being able to bring us together from north carolina and bali to have this wonderful chat today so thank you once again from the bottom of my heart for this beautiful conversation it has been a joy. Well, thank you. And um, I look forward to hearing it. <laughs> thank you. And thank you everyone else for tuning in. You know what to do. Let us know, connect with both of us and let us know what you think about the episode. If you have any questions, I'm sure we will be very happy to chat with you online through all of the ways of connecting with us. Please also share this with your friends because we want to get the message out to the world that 
you know, because just because we're healing doesn't mean that we're broken and that focusing on joy through this journey is just as important. So until next time, much love. Goodbye.